thanks a lot for not kicking that field goal at the end of the game. Cost me some money. Anyway, we got lots to get to. Uh, we're going to talk Bills and Bengals. Um, what a disaster from the Buffalo perspective. Uh, Dallas spits out the bid against the Eagles. Uh, the Chiefs avoid a late comeback against those fraudulent Miami Dolphins. We're also going to talk about the Ravens hammering the Seahawks. And of course, preview the Monday nighter between the Chargers and the Jets. Not quite your epic Monday night showdown, but one that has a lot of implications in the AFC playoff race, which is very, very tight. All right, let's kick things off with the Bills and the Bengals. Now, that game started out yesterday like gangbusters. I thought for sure we were looking at like a 45-42 finish. Cincinnati goes down the field on the opening drive as if the Buffalo Bills were not there. It was almost as if they were playing 11 on 0. They go down. Irv Smith Jr. of all people scores a touchdown, of course. And then the Bills go down and you're thinking, okay, the Bills have struggled in the first half scoring points. Hasn't been super pretty, especially lately. This was going to be a tough one, right? The Bengals, they've provided such a big pushback against opposing offenses. Ben don't break. Josh Allen drives the team down the field, runs it in. Points at the defender. By the way, can we can we stop this nonsense of getting a 15-yard penalty when you point at the opposing team? The no-fun league, you want to call it. The super soft league, you want to call it. If you can't handle being pointed at and being taunted after the guy just made you look like a fool, then do a better job tackling. Those penalties are so ridiculous, these taunting penalties. And the, we'll get to the officiating in a bit as well because, uh, boy, crucial errors across the board again. But then after that, it, it really felt like it was all Cincinnati. Joe Burrow was surgical against that Bills secondary. They didn't have to run the ball a lot because he was so good. Joe Burrow throws 44 times completing 31 of those passes for 348 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, T. Higgins had a marvelous day. Eight catches, 118 yards, no touchdowns. But that was the bounce back game that lots of people have been waiting for from T. Higgins in a game where Jamar Chase was, I don't want to say largely ineffective, but he did get banged up later on and we saw them working on him on the sidelines and T. Higgins kind of took over. And the Cincinnati Bengals are back. I know I said earlier that their season may be done because Joe Burrow just didn't look healthy. And he didn't. But he looked good against the Niners. They get the... the, uh, That was after um, the bye. They looked great. They looked great again last night. Joe Burrow specifically. And the defense... Played very well. They put the Bills in tough spots, and the Bills just, they really struggled moving the ball as the game progressed after that first drive. Now, they ended up scoring points later. The Stephon Diggs touchdown late. Um, They were moving the ball, and then Dalton Kincaid fumbled. Uh, Of course, there was the costly Josh Allen turnover, which has become a thing again. 
and I don't think that all of the criticism should go to Josh Allen, although most of it should go to Josh Allen. But I don't think Ken Dorsey's calling a very good game. I really don't. And and that, you know, what he has done with this group leaves a lot to be desired. You know, Sean McDermott was asked post-game about why it took the team so long to push the tempo against the Bengals. Because when they did that, they had a ton of success. So why didn't you do it earlier? That's that's literally what you get paid for is to read how the game is going. And Ken Dorsey's reading level, not very good right now. Is the defense playing well? Not really. But at least there's an excuse there not having Matt Milano. And then uh, Terrell Bernard gets hurt. And then Christian Benford gets hurt. And then Dane Jackson gets hurt. And it's just, it's the same old story. They, They just can't stay healthy. And with that... The Bills are not are not creating turnovers. And they're not putting the offense in better positions. This is an all-around thing. This is not just one facet of the game. We can see that. But as an all-around performance, the Bills just aren't there. Whereas on the flip side, as you look at the Cincinnati Bengals right now, they look like a complete football team. Are they the best in the AFC? They're probably pretty close. But there's another team that's better. And we'll get to them later. But the Buffalo Bills on November the 6th, 2023, if they win that game last night, they are leading the division. Instead, they lose that game and now they are out of the playoffs. Not a great one from the Buffalo Bills. We have our pal Donovan Bennett on the line right now. Donovan, we're good. We got you. What? Technology in 2023. You've got me. Happy to be here. Happy to hear your voice. Happy to be talking football. Wow. I, I think half of that was a lie. Or at least a third of it. The happy no, to hear your voice part. Not, not, not at all. Listen, I'm up early in the desert here in Vegas. We got little daylight savings. We got a little time zone switch. So let's get after it. It's so, uh, 8 a.m. In, in in Vegas, but I'm talking football with you, my friend. Well, okay. So I, I, I talked about, let's finish up on this Bills conversation before we get to your uh, Vegas experience at Allegiant Stadium. But here's my question. Are you totally out on the bills after what you saw last night? Cause even as a fan, I feel like I'm there. Like I, I think all expectations for the season have now gone out the window for me. Hmm. That's a, a nuanced question because I am not out on the roster and the talent. They have four losses. Not ideal. They were by a combined 21 points. It's not as if they're not close. They're right there. The issue, though, is they have four losses. And the division is probably too far. There are so many teams in the hunt for the wild card. And they just happen to have the hardest remaining schedule in the National Football League. So it's going to be an uphill battle just to make the playoffs. Never mind get to where they want to go to. And this is a team that was looking to 
take a jump, get back to an AFC Conference Championship, finally get to a Super Bowl, win one because you have an aging roster that's expensive. Now all of that looks like really, really, really difficult to do. This is a group that hasn't missed the playoffs since Josh Allen was drafted, and they're now in danger of doing it. Would I bet money that they're going to make the postseason given the four losses already and the schedule? No. But do I think they have the talent if they do get to the postseason to make some real damage? Yeah, of course. They're close. They're right there. It's not like they've been blown out. Yeah, and and on the flip side, Cincinnati looks really good right now. Like Joe Burrow, I, I said it, Joe Burrow was surgical. And, you know, the Bills have struggled against the run for the better part of the season. They've, they've certainly had some games where you look and go, oh, boy, here we go again. But last night, it wasn't the Joe Mixon show, which a lot of people, I think, expected. I think a lot of people thought the Bills were going to be able to get pressure, which they did not do. Uh and, and so that would mean, okay, Joe Mixon's got to take over the game to open up the passing game. That wasn't the case at all yesterday. Joe Burrow didn't need the running game. He threw 44 times, and he had two touchdowns, and he was incredible. He looked like the MVP-type Joe Burrow that we had seen before this calf injury. Well, what we've essentially done all year, every week, is we've crowned a new team. Like We haven't said for two weeks straight that this is the team at the AFC. And so we've just moved the conch from the Ravens uh, last week to the Bengals this week. Four straight wins. They started one and three, but Burrow didn't need the running game because they found T. Higgins. He came to the party, he had 218 yards coming into this game through the first seven weeks, put up eight receptions for 110. And that defense has played really well, only 17 allowed during their four-game win streak. So uh, the real question, and, and this is why I'm not willing to call the Bills frauds just yet. We don't need to play the Sid Sixero sound <laughs> just yet. Find me a team in the AFC with, outside of the Bengals when they're playing right now without warts. Ravens have played outstanding. When's the last time Lamar Jackson finished a season healthy? So it's November. Let's have this conversation on December 6th to see if they're still in the conversation in the same way. We're not even going to mention the Steelers. We're just going to wish them good luck in the fact that they continue to find ways to win without outgaining people. The Chiefs don't look convincing whatsoever. The Dolphins can't win away from home, and they can't win against a team that's above 500. Everybody in the AFC has questions. I think for me right now, the Bengals is the class... Of the AFC. So the fact that the Bills lost to them in what was uh, a real game in the fourth quarter, I don't think it's the end of the world. I, I, I didn't expect the Bills to win. So for me to come on the line, to go on to our trusty Opal connection and say I am so flabbergasted at the Bills' uh, inability to get a win, I didn't expect them to win on Saturday. So my viewpoint on them hasn't changed appreciably on Monday. Okay, uh, enough on the Sunday nighter. Uh, your Vegas experience. I mean, what a showdown. You got to see Daniel Jones get hurt, and then the legend of Tommy DeVito grows as he takes on Aiden O'Connell. Like, this is what dreams are made of, Donovan. Let's go. <laughs> so, who knew? Liking your boss matters. Who knew? Respecting your employees matters. It's true in a workplace. It's true in the National Football League. That game was a referendum on Josh McDaniels. You looked at essentially 53 guys who said, 
we care now, and we're going to show you how much we care. And it's the small things. They put a basketball net up in the locker. Guys were loose, relaxed. The sideline was like a reunion. So many former Raiders who essentially weren't necessarily embraced the same way because it's about the Patriot way, came back and were celebrating it. It was literally a show from pregame to postgame. So much so that Mark Davis is in the locker room taking shots with the Crosby and with the defense and everyone's feeling good and they're getting lit. The Giants, on the other hand, have massive problems. But in terms of the Raiders, it's all about good vibes. Do I think they're going to reel off a bunch of wins and make the playoffs? No. But we forget, and I, I didn't realize it until I was there watching them work out in person. They have some dudes on that roster. Like Crosby is a problem. Adams is a problem. Jacobs is a problem. If you were starting your team with foundational players, these are guys you'd want on the roster. So it, it was just a reminder to me that, I don't know, Treating your coworkers with respect actually helps you do a good job. And I think more than anything, the Raiders, whose fan base is, let's be honest, delusional. <laughs> they haven't had a postseason moment that has mattered in over two decades. Yet every year they think they are the team. Well, they had one Sunday where they could really enjoy. From the opening kick, they were going nuts as if every play was a TD. And that lasted not until the end of the game because it's Vegas and people left early and went and did other things. So the, Jay Glazer had the report, I believe it was yesterday. So, and and I feel like we can have a much deeper conversation about this, but you know, before McDaniels was fired, they had a team meeting and apparently everything was directed. All the frustrations were directed at McDaniels. And then he had Antonio Pierce speak on his behalf and he brought up that 07 Giants team that beat the Patriots and how, you know, nobody believed in them, but they believed that they could win. And and they and Pierce said, you know, this is the mindset that you guys need. Everybody loved it, but Josh McDaniels, who sounded like a jilted ex-lover saying, don't ever talk about the Patriots like that. Like, what what do you make of, of that scenario? Because I find that entirely believable. And if you said that that could have happened with, you know, Matt Patricia in Detroit, or it could have happened with um, Joe Judge with the Giants, like that somebody t- spoke ill of the Patriots and they got offended. It's like, you're not part of that organization anymore. So get over yourself. And maybe maybe that's in part why Josh McDaniels was not successful in, in any venture that he's had outside of being the offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. And that's maybe what has been holding teams that he has coached back because it was all about, and you and I spoke about this last week, the Patriot way and whatever, but to go out and say that to everyone, don't you talk about the, the Patriots like that? Like that's a really bad look if that's true. And I don't, I don't, I don't think that it's not true either. Pride comes before the fall, and that's exactly what happened. He let his ego get in the way of actually doing the job. To your point, you're not a patriot anymore. You're a raider now, and that comes with different expectations and its own brand, and you should really be embracing and building back up and not worried about the revisionist history on what happened when you were in New England. And, like, dude, you got beat. Like, it, 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 why are you crying over spilt milk? It happens. Get over it. The lessons that you should learn from it in terms of what the team that beat you did and what your team, now an underdog, can do 
should be applicable because you haven't built up the Raiders to uh, a behemoth and a model franchise like the Patriots. You're the opposite. You're trying to do, to Antonio Pierce's point, what the Giants did. But the other piece is, listen, when you lose to Jeff Saturday, who literally came out of the studio and went on the sidelines and beat you, when you continually lose to rookie QBs who essentially have come off of PR and waivers to beat you, you lose the moral authority to decide what people should or shouldn't use as motivation. And quite frankly, you use the ability to be the big voice in the room because when bad losses like that continue to happen on your watch, it's like anything. People are going to sharpen the knives and they're going to come for you and your job and there's going to be people in the owner's ear talking about the fact that we should be doing this and should be doing that and this is an embarrassment. And quite frankly, all of it's deserved. You can't have the amount of bad losses that he has had in the span of just over a year and still expect to be the, the expert on how you build a, a franchise. And so, as I said, man, pride comes before the fall. You would think he would have learned that in Denver, but what we learned is he learned nothing in Denver, and he went about this the exact same way. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, wasn't pretty for Josh McDaniels, but a, a good win for the Raiders nonetheless. Okay, uh, what we thought was, and it, it ended up being a really good football game, uh, kind of a heavyweight tilt between the Cowboys and the Eagles. Two TDs basically called back for the for the Cowboys. A weird play call on fourth down where they throw to Jalen Tolbert and not CeeDee Lamb. And then at the end of the game, Dak takes the sack when he probably shouldn't. And it's just, it was kind of a comedy of errors at the end of the game when their defense, you know, eventually put them in a spot because they made big stops late in the game. Um, this really felt like a game only Mike McCarthy could screw up, which is not a shock at all to either of us. But to me, when I look at that score line and I say, man, Jalen Hurts must have been a superstar in that game. He really didn't have to be. He was just super efficient. And the key was, especially against... Uh, a team in Dallas that has really prided themselves on turning the ball over no turnovers for the Eagles yesterday. That felt like the really big key, no turnovers and control the clock. Yeah, no question. Listen, Dallas has failed to get a takeaway twice this year. They lost post games. The other one was against Arizona Philly now two and oh in games when they've been outgained by more than a hundred yards. That happened in this game. They find a way to manage the game and make the plays they need to make in the fourth quarter. Even though in this game, for a while, they tried to give it away. The wrong number 11 uh, hit Swift and caused a fumble. It wasn't Michael Parsons. It was his own teammate, A.J. Brown, gave Dallas life. But I think relatively, Dallas competed well. They obviously... First loss, they've outgained an opponent by 100 yards since 2020. They were right in it. They were goal to go at that point with a 78% win percentage. You mentioned the procedure, the sack, the incompletion. That goes to then a 5% win percentage. And then with the game on the line, you throw it short of the end zone, hoping that CeeDee Lamb can get in and that doesn't happen. I think two things can be true. Dallas could have proved that physically – They can stand with Philly, that they're right there, that Dak Prescott, who people have had huge questions about, for me was the best football player 
on the field of the 106 that played. But still, they didn't make critical plays when the game was on the line. And a couple times, balls on the ground, fumble out. Do you get it? Are you going to get it? No, those are huge swings. Dak happens to just step out of bounds you know, on the two-point. That's a huge swing. You're an inch from scoring a touchdown at the goal line, but you don't. Another huge swing. They're right there, and they can play with a championship-level team, yes, but also they mismanaged things and didn't get those inches that we need that are all around us, Al Pacino, any given Sunday style, to get over the hump. That has essentially been the calling card for this franchise before Mike McCarthy. We had the same conversation when it was Jason Garrett and Wade Phillips, and we're still having the same conversation now. I like how you fit that reference in there. I'm I'm not surprised at all that you fit that in there. But you know, the funny thing about that game is like, there's a lot of Dak haters out there. We know that uh, we've spoken to them. Um, we've heard from them, but yesterday that's not a game where you can, I mean, even taking the sack, like he's trying to make a play to win the game. Like that's not on him, him stepping out of bounds. It's like, okay, that happens all the time. Was it a critical juncture in the game? Sure. But Dak Prescott threw for 374 yards, three touchdowns, and he didn't throw an interception. I mean, he's got seven touchdowns and one interception over his last two weeks, and he's combined for 678 yards through the air. Dak Prescott has been far from the issue. CeeDee Lamb has been great. 11 catches for 191 or 12 catches for 191 yesterday. I mean, I agree with you. That's a game, a road game where you were in it. And there was a time in that game where you thought, wow, the Cowboys could really pull this thing off. I thought it was actually, you know, we talk about wins in a loss. I thought that their performance and you talk about the effort and how they played in a game where they could not get a turnover on defense. I thought that that was as impressive a performance as they've had all year, considering the circumstances. Yeah, and you don't want to go to the moral victories thing, but if there was one, this would be it. It's quite the opposite when the 49ers beat the brakes off them. And you talk about the play of Dak. If uh, we were just watching and it was from afar and the computer screen was somewhat pixelated, we didn't see the, the player or the number or the name, we saw some of the plays he made to buy time, some of the off-platform throws, we would say, is that Patrick Mahomes? Like he was making big time throws under pressure because his right tackle, Terrence Steele, was getting beat like a drum for the entire football game. So he met the moment, took care of the football, made big plays, put them in position to win, and it didn't really pan out. But also credit to the Eagles, who had the advantage on both lines of scrimmage and made the plays defensively when they had to, and you just kind of felt like the Eagles are going to make a play to win this game, and then they're going to cut to the sideline, and Nick Sirianni is going to be jumping around and going crazy, and yeah, that's exactly what happened. From the Eagles' perspective, one something that uh, an Eagles fan pointed out on Twitter, which I thought was pretty funny, is that they love Nick Sirianni so much, and they hate how much the rest of the league, or they love how much the rest of the league despises him. I don't know if I get that sense about Nick Sirianni. Like he's, he's, you know, he gets in the face of officials sometimes, which he did yesterday when he didn't like a call. Um, he's very, you know, uh, exuberant on the sidelines and he gets excited and we saw him crying at one point on the sidelines. Like I, I don't have, I don't see what the problem is. I feel like 
if you're any organization, that's exactly what you want out of a coach. And not to mention, um, and you and I have, have talked about this on the show, the guy who didn't win the press conference looked pretty darn good on the sidelines for the Eagles. And he's done, you know, a fantastic job at, you know, at building up this franchise. He got them to a Super Bowl and, and you know, they're they're eight and one and they look like they might be on their way after uh, this bye. Now, they are, did get some injury news yesterday. It looks like Dallas Goddard's going to go on the IR. Uh, he's got a fracture in his forearm, I believe. So that's trouble. But when you look at this Eagles team, you know, the secondary was a little bit banged up. Uh, their linebackers hadn't been playing all that great, but really they've kind of rounded into form here and, Dare I say that I don't know that we've seen their best all-around performance yet, and they find themselves at eight and one. I think this hate for Sirianni comes from a similar place of some of the early hate for Mike McDaniel's, and it's just like when the owner of the company just retires abruptly and gives it to his son or daughter to run, and they kind of walk in being like, all right, well, there's a new sheriff in town. Like, they're just kind of young, kind of exuberant, kind of annoying. They're not the archetype of the traditional coach. And you kind of look at them from afar and be like, are you qualified? Like, when have we seen head coaches doing chest bumps on the sideline and talking smack to players, right? Like, that's not what we expect. So, like anything, when it looks different and it feels different, we have a problem with it we feel a type of way about it and yeah if you're watching the tush push push down your throat time time again and then they cut to Sirianni and he's screaming as if he's the one with the 600 pound deadlift that got the first down you're a opposing fan base you're like yeah forget this guy well guess what it's working <laughs> so I don't think anybody on the Eagles sideline is going to be complaining about that um Okay, let's uh you know what we'll talk about we'll talk about this this Chiefs uh Dolphins game. Chiefs jump out to the 21 nothing lead and you're going, "Oh boy, this is it. It's done. Uh Miami's going to fly back from Germany, They're getting their doors blown off. It's not pretty blah 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 blah." And then the second half comes around and you're watching this Chiefs team and you're going, "Oh, hold on a second. What happened to the team that was in the first half, both Patrick Mahomes and Tua Tagovailoa held under 200 yards. The one thing that we talked about before the, the that game on Friday was, you know, whenever there's a hype like this around a European game, don't expect that it's going to be very good. And frankly, I didn't think it was great. I mean, it had some drama at the end, but, you know, it's another game, and I, I can't believe that I'm doing this, and I think you know where I'm going to go with this, but I can't believe I'm going to say this again. But Travis Kelsey had another dud with Taylor Swift not in the building. Like, is it? are we at a point where the sample size is large enough that we go, this is actually real, and it's really stupid? Yes. Yes. <laughs> We've been there. I've, I've, I've been writing about it in my weekly Friday, you know, 10 stats about the NFL column. Taylor needs to be... In the, if she can't be there, then uh, get a Taylor hologram. Do something. Play Taylor Smith music nonstop. But she needs to be there. I know she's got her own tour. She's coming to Vancouver now. So all of our friends on the West Coast, uh, you can get your tickets. Presented uh, by Rogers. Because it is. That's right. It's a it's a Rogers promote show. So both Toronto. And Vancouver, what does Rogers do for you Canadians? We connect you to the moments that matter. There nice is your work. plug for the nice show. Nice work. Uh, listen, uh, speaking of connecting with moments that matter, 
that game was early, certainly in Eastern Standard Time. It was very early, Pacific Standard Time. So at 6.30 a.m., your boy woke up, staying at the beautiful Resorts World in Las Vegas. Proud of you. Went down to the doghouse, went to, that's right, I went to a sports book at 6.30 a.m., <laughs> had steak and eggs, and watched football. It was beautiful. It was a dream. But I was surrounded by Dolphins fans and Chiefs fans. And when I tell you, this game, for both of those groups, was like an intervention. Both groups believe they have a team that's good enough to win, believe they have an exciting offense. But around the corner, they're afraid of that boogeyman. Every time there's a little bit of momentum, you could feel the tension rising among the fan bases because they're waiting for something to go wrong because they've seen the highs of the highs. They've seen the elite level, but they've also seen quite frankly, some stop-start, uneasy, sloppy football. And I think that was what this game was. It was a tale of two halves. The Chiefs were that in the first half. Then the Dolphins stormed back in the second half. The difference is the Dolphins are an appreciably better team at home than they are on the road. And I have a hypothesis. I'm interested to hear your take on it. What are we talking about at the beginning of the year? All of the motion that they were doing, timing up, uh, hitting the line of scrimmage almost CFL style perfectly, and it was giving them an advantage in their receivers downfield so fast. Well, that's okay at home when it's, well, quite frankly, in Miami all the time, it's not loud. But specifically when you're on offense, it's not loud. But when you're on the road in a hostile environment, and that was a pro Chiefs crowd, you can't do that with the same amount of confidence or speed because you can't hear it. And so at home, they're averaging 43 points per game. They're 4 and 0. On the road, they're averaging 22 per, points per game. They're 2 and 3. I think the offense is evolving. Other teams are stealing from it. I just wonder if it's going to continue to work when they have to potentially go on the road and win a big playoff game or beat a good team because that is something they have yet to do. They've yet to beat a team that is 500 or better, and their schedule for the next couple of weeks is pretty light, so we're not going to get a test on whether or not they can get over the hump for a little bit. I think you know how I feel about the Dolphins. I said it earlier in the year. I'm not going to change my stance. I think they're frauds. I don't think that they're, like, you know, when if you can't beat teams that are over 500, then how can you call yourself elite? It's the same conversation I can have about the Buffalo Bills. It's that you're well, not. The why, though? Why do you think they're frauds? What about them doesn't pass the smell test for you? Because when the going gets tough and the game gets physical, they can't play it. Well, in the playoffs, that's what you have to do. And we've seen it. The Bills played physical against their receivers. They struggled. The Eagles played physical against their receivers. They struggled. They did it yesterday to Tyree Kill, the same thing. And they knew. They knew how to slow him down. So I, I'm not buying this. And you know what, Donovan, and, and I've said it, I don't think their defense is very good. I know that they allowed only 14 points yesterday because one of the one of the touchdowns came on a takeaway. But I, I think against, and because I'm only saying this because I don't think Kansas City's offense is very good either. When they go up against a good offensive team, their defense can't stop anybody. And when teams play physical against them, guess what? They can't do anything on offense. Sure, they can run the ball okay, but they're not passing the ball with great fluidity like they have earlier in the year when they're playing teams that are playing them soft, frankly. I just, I don't see the, I, I think we've seen enough 
from the Miami Dolphins that I don't get the love affair right now. And I think a lot of people are starting to question that. Like, I don't think I'm in the minority here. I think a lot of people look at the Miami Dolphins and go, yeah, they're just another team. Yes, they make some nice plays here and there and they have some razzle-dazzle. But when you need to play playoff-style football, I don't think they can do it. They haven't proven that they can yet. And as I mentioned, they're not really going to get a chance to change your mind in a bit. They have a buy, so the buy for a bunch of teams comes at a really good time in week 10. This would be one of them. Both teams who played in Europe, uh, in, in Germany, get the buy to, to recover as they come back. Then they've got the Raiders, who are a much different team now, Aiden O'Connell's Raiders. Uh, then they're at the Jets, at the Commanders, host Tennessee, host the Jets. That's what their schedule is until essentially Christmas when they end the season with Cowboys at Ravens and finish it with your Bills, which I, I believe is probably going to be flexed into a real primetime spot for Week 18. So we're not going to know for essentially another six weeks if this team is wrong. And I read the schedule. They could just run the table and win six in a row. We could be having this conversation, and they could be first in the AFC by the time we have another appraisal if they're a real Super Bowl contender. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about the team that is the best in the AFC. And it's not the Bengals, Donovan. Uh, so we'll talk about that when we come back. Also, some pretty impressive performances from some quarterbacks. Uh, one maybe we expected. The other one certainly did not expect. Plus, we'll preview the Monday Nighter, the Chargers at the Jets. Uh, more of the fan checkdown when we come back on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett. We'll be back in a few. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, okay, so yesterday, this one was a big one coming in. And we were kind of like, okay, what are we going to learn about these two teams? And, you know, we, we it's been well noted. You brought up the stat about Lamar Jackson and his incredible success against the NFC. But that was an absolute beatdown. So bad that Lamar Jackson didn't even have to play in the fourth quarter. The Ravens hammer the Seahawks. They have over 500 yards of total offense, including 298 rushing yards. Keaton Mitchell, who's going to be a very popular waiver wire ad, uh, nine carries, 138 yards. Lamar Jackson had 60. Gus Edwards had 52. And another t two TDs on top of that. Justice Hill, 40. Tyler Huntley, eight. For me and for my money, after watching that game, like that was one that I really had my attention on of the early games. The Ravens look like the best team in the AFC. And I don't think I'm being hyperbolic because I know that people want to talk about the Bengals, especially after beating the Bills. But the Ravens have absolutely smashed two teams, two NFC teams that we both thought had a chance to win their division. Detroit being one of them. And now Seattle, who falls back into uh, into line with, with San Francisco, the way that the Ravens run the ball, the way Lamar Jackson is playing right now, and that defense 
is maybe the best defense in football right now, the way they're playing. Ever since they acquired Roquan Smith, they have been incredible. For my money, Donovan, the best team in the AFC, and they are putting themselves in the conversation as one of the best teams in the NFL is the Baltimore Ravens. To that, you say what? I think they're so multiple. I think that's what makes them difficult, and that's why I would give them just a photo finish. Edge above Cincinnati is what do you want to do? How do you want to lose? Do you want to die a slow death? And we will run the ball down your throat with running backs that essentially got off the scrap heap and Lamar Jackson, or you want us to spread out? You want us to go five wide? We're really only going to be throwing to two or three of those five, but we'll still air it all over the place because we have a true number one in Flowers. Aldell Beckham Jr. was a bit upset about his role. He got in the end zone. He got his dance off, so he's feeling good. And then we have, you know, the tight end that is playing arguably the best in you know, Mark Andrews, maybe Laporta. He's in that conversation because Kelsey is not good when his girlfriend's not in town. So uh, I, I think the, the Ravens can beat you in many different ways. When the Bengals beat you, we know how it's going to happen. Joe Burrow's going to go over the top to his power forward wide receivers, and they're going to scheme you up on D. The Ravens can just put their hand in the dirt on D and get after you, scheme or no scheme, and they can beat you running the ball, ball control, or they can air it out on offense. Uh, Lamar Jackson is playing at an MVP level. For me, he should be the front runner right now. On the flip side, Seattle gets blown out. We saw them play very poorly against the Rams earlier in the year. And then yesterday, uh, a not a good offensive performance outside of Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was very good again. DK Metcalf only had one catch. It was a big one for 50 yards, but it amounted to absolutely zero. And Geno Smith throws another interception. He's held to just 157 passing yards, zero TDs. And the Ravens held the Seahawks to 20 eight rushing yards. Are we starting to believe that the Seahawks just are what they are and every week is going to be something different? Or do you think that that loss was maybe a little bit more concerning than maybe we had originally thought? Listen, we need to believe what we see. And when someone tells you who they are, believe them. We are still giving Seattle grace for what they did a year ago. We're still giving Geno Smith grace for what he did a year ago and not evaluating the tape as we see it right now. Here's what we know is true. We didn't expect Seattle to be as good as they were a year ago. That was an upgrade. That was a surprise. Now they're coming back to earth a little bit, and their division is not as good as it's historically been and not as good as we thought it was going to be coming into the year. The Cardinals have been terrible and then arguably just traded their best offensive player in Dobbs. The Rams have either not been healthy and we weren't sure how interested they were at competing at a high level because of potentially the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. And the Niners have fallen off and have been incredibly injured. So the fact that the Seahawks have been really good in what has been a uncharacteristically terrible division, that don't impress me much. The five and three for me is skewed for them. So, yeah, I think they are a team that could end up fourth and win that division or, or, or be a wildcard team. But 
we didn't have any real expectations of them going far in the postseason a year ago. We shouldn't have any this year. I was really surprised, not that they lost, but that they lost that bad. And I had to self-reflect and remember, like, yeah, I'm giving them too much credit for the team they were last year and not evaluating the team that they've proven to be this year. My biggest thing with the Seahawks is I really thought the offense was going to be better. You know, they drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round. They drafted Zach Charbonnet in the second round to to go along with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Kenneth Walker and, and the hundred tight ends that they have. And Geno Smith, who was coming off of a very, very impressive performance last year. Yes, the schedule gets harder when you're good. But having said all that, I really thought that they were going to take a step forward offensively, which maybe I was a little too bullish on them. But the talent was certainly there. I just wonder if if Geno Smith is turned into a pumpkin here. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I am with you that I expected them to be better because in the draft, their focus was offense. They really, over the last couple of years, have tried to slowly improve and upgrade that offense and get away from the mantra that defense is going to solely win them their championship. So I thought this offense was going to take a step. And for whatever reason, they've never been able to put it in fourth or fifth gear all year. If they don't have a monster game in the run game, essentially they're pretty predictable offensively. And that's what we saw on Sunday. Uh, We have some news that came across the wire. I mean, we kind of knew this was going to be the case anyway, but Daniel Jones is done for the year. Uh, a roughly nine month recovery from ACL reconstruction. Uh, that's the, that's what it looks like going forward. His 35 and a half million dollar salary for 2024 is fully guaranteed. Now, having said that, do you think that, cause I believe there's an out in the contract after next season, if the giants are bad, which it looks like they're going to be, cause I can't imagine what quarterback, I mean, maybe they go out and, make uh, a call to Carson Wentz, um, but they're out of it. I can't imagine that they're, you know, just we're going to just play out the year, whatever. Do you think they draft a quarterback? Because they're going to be really bad the rest of the year. And we know Daniel Jones is not the answer. They paid him a lot of money. I understand that. But if they have an out in that contract, do you think that Daniel Jones is going to be the quarterback of this? Or at least we know he will be on the roster. Uh, Do you think they go out and draft a quarterback or dare I say, even try to sign one in free agency? Uh, They should. Number one, they should for a couple of reasons. Number one, Daniel Jones is not that guy. Vanilla Vic was cute. We loved it. He had some big games, but he didn't have any big games where he wasn't standing beside Saquon Barkley and the defense wasn't towards the bottom of the league. If the goal is to win a Super Bowl, he's not the answer. I think we have enough data to say that the problem is the organization got caught jumping in the air with the ball in their hands, and they were stuck. In the NBA, we see this all the time where you have a player, you think he's pretty good, you don't want to lose him for nothing, so you just give him the max even though you know he's not a max player. They gave him the going rate for an elite quarterback knowing that he wasn't an elite quarterback. And now, to your point, they're stuck. I think they go in a different direction for a different reason because you have somewhat of a new regime, a new regime that did not draft the player, a new regime that now, based off of how bad this season has gone and will continue to go without Daniel Jones on the field, 
needs to protect themselves. And so how do you buy more time? How do you get a little bit longer lease on life? You either draft a new QB and say you're developing them. That gives you another three-year window. Or you push all the chips in the middle of the table. You go get yourself a veteran that can help you compete right now. And you try to flip the script by winning and getting back into the postseason immediately. I'm not sure which path they will choose. Can you imagine a Kirk Cousins in New York? Probably not. And with the timeline of his rehab, it may not make sense. But I think for sure they should, and I suspect they will, make a decision at quarterback because let's dream of the possible. What's the ceiling of this franchise with Daniel Jones fully healthy and the full team of slot receivers that he has to throw to? It's not high. Yeah. So I, I think they need to go in a different direction. And as the Houston Texans have shown you, if you find the guy, someone who is truly him, Himothy, they can make average receivers look pretty good. I like how you threw that Himothy in there. Okay, we got uh, we got just a couple of minutes left here. Uh, tonight, Chargers at Jets. Jets are four and three. Chargers are three and four. This is, you know, in some roundabout way, a kind of a key matchup in the AFC playoff rates. The, a, a Jets win puts them in the conversation for the division, not just a playoff spot. Uh, have a thought on this one before we wrap up? I just think it's fascinating. We're actually talking about this yesterday on this trip. Let's go back to Monday nighter, week one, terrible weather, Jets fans are out there in the rain, and the Monday night crew essentially was giving a three-and-a-half-hour funeral and apologizing to Jets fans that they now have to watch Zach Wilson for the foreseeable future. They're in the hunt. They're in the thick of it. Like To think that they and the Chargers are essentially a toss-up on who's going to win this game at this point, given the Chargers have the second most expensive quarterback in the sport, and the Jets have a quarterback who they openly said last year they no longer want. It's fascinating, and I might be crazy. I would not be surprised if the Jets win this game outright. You? Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Do you have a pick quickly? Who are you taking? I'm going J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Chargers. Even though I don't love it, I'm going to go with the Chargers. Uh, best bets for... Well, at least one of us will be right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, best bets for tonight. Garrett Wilson, over 65 and a half receiving yards. Been over that number in two straight. And the Chargers have allowed a wide receiver to hit that number in all but one game this season. Brees Hall, over two and a half receptions since be- having the reins taken off. He's been over that mark in four straight. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Fan Checkdown. Thanks to Lance behind the glass. Thanks to Donovan. Uh, well, not across the table, but across the country and across North America. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with more of the Fan Checkdown. Matt Marchese signing off. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a wonderful day.